0: Okay, good morning. Good morning and welcome to the Telios Christian Fellowship to our Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Listen, if you, whether you call this day Easter or Resurrection Sunday, just realize this, we're here this morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is, He is risen. You got them ready, Pastor Joe. I appreciate that very much. Yes. You know, I mean, there are lots of things that happen. I know that, you know, there's been some Easter egg hunts that have happened. I'm sure that, um, there have been some peeps that have been eaten. Um, this morning heading to the car, you know, going by the, uh, we have two rabbits, pagan. No, we have two rabbits. There are pets. And it's just like, hey bunnies, Jesus is risen. And like, going to church. Like, it's one of those things that we have, to, we have to be so clear. Why are we here? We're here because of Jesus. Like, what Jesus has done is still being talked about 2,000 years later. And will be talked about for all of eternity and never is going to end. So, this pastor better get on his notes here. Otherwise, we're going to be like way off. Okay, so... By way off, I mean going way long. So here we go. I'm going to start off with a Bible passage here and it's from the gospel of Matthew. And this you'll see on your screen. This is Easter morning. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake Come, see the place where he lay. And I love the past tense of that statement. He was crucified. He has risen. He was laying here, but he's not here anymore. I had the opportunity in the year 2000 to go visit the traditional site of the tomb, the garden tomb. And I can tell you, I looked in, there's nobody there. And it's open, not so that Jesus could get out. It's not like Jesus was like, Man, somebody's got to move this stone. I gotta like, you know, push this stone out. Angels, give me a hand here. The stone was not moved for Jesus to get out. The stone was moved so that we could look in and see that it's empty. So that the world could look in and see that it's empty. You know, we have our Bibles here, we have Bibles on the right side of every row. I've got mine as well. Um there was a man who had a Bible, he's a pretty famous man too. His name is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson had a Bible of sorts. And and here's why I say this. Thomas Jefferson was interested in the Bible. In fact, he wrote a book called The Philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. He wrote it in 1804. Unfortunately, there are no copies that exist of it today, except him referencing that he had written this. But he wrote a second book, although writing is a really long stretch. He didn't write this book. He assembled This second book. And this book is known in quotation marks as Thomas Jefferson's Bible. The actual title is this. I think we even have a screen of this. It's called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. So that's the actual cover of his book, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And then it said, extracted textually from the gospels. Thomas Jefferson's Bible, well, If you look at it, this is like one little bit of a page. Do you notice something about it? It's annotated, which is fine. It's not a sin to write in your Bible. That's not the end of the world, but it's cut up in pieces. Here's the thing about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is like lots of people in our world today. When they hear about Jesus, they appreciate the morality that he taught. They appreciate the life that he lived, the kindness that he showed. But then there's some statements that Jesus says that are too much for some people. Either his love is too great or the judgment he speaks about is too strong. And so there's a temptation to, I'm just going to skip certain words that Jesus said and I'm just going to hop, skip and jump through this Bible. Well, Thomas Jefferson went further. He took a sharp blade to the Bible and cut out the pieces that he liked and left the ones that he didn't. He did not believe in the supernatural. So for him, his book, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, written in 1820, is devoid of any supernatural acts. And if you're thinking here, wait, what is the Bible if not for the supernatural acts of God? And if and if you look at the Bible that he had taken things from, they're just like Swiss cheese. Sections are taken out and there's holes through the pages. I want you to, to know this, that by removing all the references of the supernatural, that means there are no miracles in Thomas Jefferson's Bible. The one that he would have at his nightstand. The one that he would read for himself. You see, he treated Jesus like a buffet line he decided that he would take certain things that he likes and then leave other things that he just didn't like rather than take jesus for who he said he was and so the closing statement in thomas jefferson's bible in that second book he wrote is and then they rolled the tomb they rolled the stone over the tomb the end that's it his bible has no resurrection because the resurrection is miraculous The resurrection is beyond human means. And Thomas Jefferson knew that. And because he said, I don't believe in the supernatural, he left out what we're talking about this morning. I had some people visit my house last Wednesday. And they came and they didn't have name tags on. They had name tags on. I'd go, okay, it's the Mormons. But instead, they didn't have name tags on and they'd come up and I just thought, okay, a couple older folks. And I said, hey, and we were chatting And they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And they wanted to invite me to a Friday event where they remembered the death of Jesus. And I said, oh, you mean Good Friday? And they said, yes, yes, that's what it is. And I said, yeah, that's great. I said, I I think it's a wonderful thing to remember the death of Jesus. And you're probably like, at which point did you tell me you're a pastor? At no point did I tell them I'm a pastor. Because I'm not, and I wasn't here to like spring a trap on them. I just didn't want them to treat me differently. I wanted to just like see if we can have a conversation here. And I said, yeah. I said that's Good Friday. I said that's that's amazing. I said, hey, what do you guys do on Easter? What do you guys do on Sunday? And I already know that they don't celebrate. They don't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And as we had a conversation, I said, what do you guys do on Sunday? They go, oh, oh, we don't do. We don't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I go, why don't you do that? Well, they said he told us to celebrate to remember his death. And I go, he sure did. Now putting that aside don't you think it's worth celebrating if God comes to this earth and dies and then rises again from the dead? Isn't that worth celebrating? And like the expression on their faces changed to, well, some people think that. And they said, you know, it really has a lot of of secular pagan origins. I go, I get it. Easter, Ishtar, the Druids, all that other stuff. I go, but do you realize there's lots of people just celebrate on that day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't know that there's other people that had in the past celebrated other things on this day. I said, you do realize there are people that just come and they come and they say, and they call it Easter because they remember the resurrection of Jesus. And they're like, well, some people do that. And so they weren't willing to engage in a conversation. And he said, well, you know, it says right here. And I go, stop. I don't want you to read your materials. I want you to look me in the eye and let's have a conversation. If somebody comes to your door and knocks on your door, they want to talk about their faith. Here's the thing you need to do. You need to take it to the founder. You need to go right to Jesus and just talk about Jesus. Because what you'll find out is as you talk about Jesus, you aren't talking about the same person. You're talking about someone. They're talking about somebody named Jesus. You're talking about somebody named Jesus. Same name but different person. And how do you know? You start to describe the Jesus you believe in. And when you start to say he died for my sins, he rose again on the third day. He is God. That's where a lot of people at that point drop off. I was thinking about it this morning on this morning, who isn't celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this morning? Because sometimes people are like, well, Christianity and all these other religions are all basically the same. Really? Really? Let's see who isn't celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Jews are not celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Why? Because they don't believe Jesus was their savior. They are stumbled because he came so humbly riding in on a donkey, because he allowed himself to be crucified, to die. They're like, our king wouldn't do that. Our king would come powerfully. And so the Jews don't celebrate his resurrection this morning. The Muslims don't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this morning. They don't believe he rose again because they don't believe he died. That's kind of a big difference between Christianity and Islam. Mormons, like I said, they're going to have a service today, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe in somebody with the name Jesus. But once you start describing him, you realize you're talking about a different person. In fact, Mormons have added more Christian imagery to their Easter Sunday service so that it would attract more interested people who would confuse them to be Christians so that they can recruit more people into Mormonism. Think about this. If anybody has something they believe in and you just go, oh, if they say we're Christians, then you have to ask them this question. Then why do you exist? If you're Christians, why does there need to be another one of you? I mean, again, you can't ride on the coattails of Christianity and have all the same imagery and then say, hey, we're totally different. Well, then be upfront and tell us why you're totally different. Buddhists, Buddhism, it's more philosophy than a religion. They're not celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Atheists and agnostics are not celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And Thomas Jefferson and people like Thomas Jefferson with that same mindset. I like Jesus's morals, but I don't believe in the supernatural. They also are not celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. There's a man, Deepak Chopra, not a Christian by any means. He wanted to the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And he said, every quote, every spiritual tradition has this idea of death and resurrection. It's not unique to Christianity. Oh, really, Mr. Chopra? You tell me of any other leader, of any other religion, again, Christianity is like other religions. Really? Tell me any other religion where the founder of that religion said that he was going to die. Again, that's no big deal. I can say, hey, one day, guys, I'm going to die. Who says that he's going to die and then also predicts his resurrection. I'm going to take you to this quote. I use it every Easter because it is so good. Pastor Andy Stanley, here it is. If a man can predict his own death and resurrection, and here it is, and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. There is no other religion in this world where the founder said, I will die and I will rise again, and actually does it. I'm just going to go with what Jesus says. Why? Because he put his money where his mouth is. He did what he said. Christians are the only people who follow a leader who died and came back to life like he said. So the title of this morning's message is Life After Death. Let's pray. We're going to look in John chapter 10 and look at the words that Jesus has to say about his life and his death, and his resurrection. Papa, we come before you, and we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to gather together on this Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, remembering the rising of your Son. We are so honored to live on this side of the cross, to live on this side of the empty tomb, to look back into the scriptures and see that it has been predicted, it has been foretold, it was prophesied, and it has come true, which gets us really excited for the other things that haven't yet happened, that Jesus will come back again, that he will restore all things, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you that we can take Jesus at his word because he is trustworthy for his word. I pray that you would... Soften our hearts, open our minds, that you would engage us at the deepest part of who we are and that we would consider Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus was speaking to people around and he said this, Jesus said in John 10, 10 the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the bad guy. But then he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus tells us why he came. He talks about somebody that only comes to steal, kill and destroy. He's warning everyone that there is an enemy of their soul. The enemy's motivation to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. Jesus says, my heart towards you is to give you life and give it to you in overflowing, like that you can't even handle how much life he's giving you. The word life there, it's the Greek word Zoe. And it's a beautiful name too, the name Zoe. This Greek word Zoe, it means life. It can also mean God's intended existence for you. Zoe. Zoe. So Jesus said, I came so that you might have Zoe and have Zoe in abundance. Now, this would not be any huge deal, except there are other Greek words that could have been used for life. Jesus could have used a different word. He could have used the word bios. It's where we get the word biology from. It is also translated as life, but it speaks of physical life, living, breathing life. Jesus could have also used the word, Greek word for life, which means, which is pronounced Suchi. Suchi, it's where we get the word psychology from. In other words, it's life on a mental or behavioral level. Jesus could have used the word Suchi, he could have used the word bios, but he chose to use the word Zoe. Jesus doesn't accidentally use words, because Zoe is this life that is vibrant, It is spiritual emotional, relational, social. Jesus said that he wants to give you that life and give it to you abundantly. The word Zoe for life is the most used word for life in the New Testament. Over 130 times it's used. And in the Gospel of John, John uses the word Zoe more than Matthew, Mark, or Luke combined. John wants you to know that Jesus is here to give you this life that's the intended existence God has always had for you. If you look at it, especially in a community that we're in right now, here's a good way to describe it. It's a holistic, fulfilling life that you've longed for, but always seems just beyond your reach. And here's the thing about Zoe. You were born without it. Every human being is born without Zoe. You're born with bios and you're born with uh, psyche, Suchi, but you're not born with Zoe. Zoe. Zoe is not something that you get at birth. Zoe is something that can only be given to you by somebody who has it. And what Jesus said in John 10, 10 is, I came that they may have Zoe and have it abundantly. He wants to give you something you can't get from any other place in this world. So this means that you and I, a person in this world, they can have bios, they can be physically alive. They can have sushi. They can be mentally, their mind is working, the you know uh, the mind is transmitting and the messages are going through the neurons there. And it's all working. But they can have those two things, physical and mental, but not have God's intended life in them. You can be breathing and thinking, but you can be spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And at the end of our bios life, at the end of our Suchi life where our mind stops, our heart stops, the only life that continues beyond this life is Zoe. And that's the one Jesus came and he said, I'm coming to give you life that even death cannot stop. There are those that can be physically dead, their hearts stop beating or their mind has stopped working and they are just dead. For the believer... You may breathe your last breath on this earth one day, close your eyes for the very last time, but because you're a Christian, you have Zoe that Jesus gave you and that Zoe life will carry you face to face to see Jesus himself. And that Zoe life has no end. There's nothing that can kill Zoe. Nothing that can kill Zoe. I love this about Jesus. Jesus isn't stingy. He's not like, okay, I got to like, I'm just going to just like portion off just a little bit of Zoe for you. (laughs) Jesus says, oh, Zoe, you want some Zoe? Here and here and here. He goes, I want you to have the life that I've intended for you and I want you to have it to overflowing like standing under Niagara Falls. I want to pour it out on you and no one, no one and nothing is going to stop you. But that means we have to go to the one person who has it. And there's only one person. Who's that one person? The same person that said that he was going to lay his life down and that he was going to raise it back up again. That one person, Jesus Christ. Now, there is opposition to Zoe. And in that verse in John 10, 10, listen, I only have a few verses today, so I'm going to have to keep using the same verse over and over again. So here we go. John 10, 10. It says, the thief came, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Those are the enemies to Zoe. Zoe. The enemy wants to steal from you and kill and destroy. He wants you to live this life so distracted that you don't realize that there is life beyond the mental and beyond the physical. There are some that just go like Thomas Jefferson. If I can't think about it with my mind and if I can't, you know, experience it or work it out, if it's not something I can see, then I won't believe it. Wow. Well, then you're going to miss Zoe. You're gonna miss Jesus and what he has. When it speaks about those that come outside, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's just this sign that, listen, there are enemies outside. We have spiritual enemies. And again, the person that doesn't believe in something they can't physically see, they're stumbled by the spiritual realm. But just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I don't see gravity, but I definitely see the effects of gravity. I don't see the wind, but I can see a tree blowing which tells me that the wind exists. I may not see God with my eyes, but I see the effects of God working in the lives of people. Broken lives that are turned around. People who are addicts that have been healed. Marriages where they've divorced and God has changed both hearts and they are remarried. I have seen that myself. I may not see God with my eyes, but boy, do I see the effects of God working around It's important for us to understand that there is an enemy because the quickest way for us to lose a battle is to not realize there's actually a battle going on. And then you get smacked upside the head and you're going, what's that all about? There's a real spiritual battle going on. And well, who's it for? It's for you. And it's for the people of this world. Jesus continued on in John 10. In John 10, verse 11, he says some things about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he describes those that have other intentions. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees the hired hand because he's hired and he cares nothing for the sheep. And then Jesus reiterates in verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. I, look at this, lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm such a good shepherd that I'm going to die for them. Now, this is just a beautiful passage of scripture. The 23rd Psalm is beautiful about Jesus being our good shepherd. But there's an implication when we read something. Because if he's the shepherd, that means we're the sheep. Jesus didn't say, you know, I am the, the, t- the bear tamer and you are my bears. Yeah! Or li- Go bears. Or like lions or tigers, you know, whatever. Or bears, right? You know, it's like Jesus didn't say that I'm that person. I'm not the one that tames that. He said, I'm a shepherd, which that means we're sheep. Sheep are not the sharpest cookies out there. Sheep are directionless unless they have a leader. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are not known for their amazing like, what? Like, you know, they're just not, they aren't known for that. The defense of a sheep is to run to its shepherd. That's the defense a sheep has. It has no other defense. I'm going to get really small. Huh? Look at that big white cotton ball sitting out on that grass there. I wonder. This is how dumb sheep are. And I'm saying this as one. Okay. In 2005... In Turkey, there were these sheep. And I think we have a picture of some sheep coming out of a cave in Turkey. A lot of sheep, right? And they went to a cave to cool themselves because it was, it was warm in that time of day. It's so the afternoon's coming, so they're starting to come out from this cool cave. Well, there were these shepherds, and these shepherds decided to take a break for lunch. So they take a break for lunch, and the sheep decide to leave where they had left them. And one sheep, one sheep decides to start walking, and there's a cliff, and the sheep just goes over the edge, like just straight, ah, oh, gone. And it's just one of those where you're like, "Come on!" Now this would just be an unfortunate story, except that other sheep were like, "Meh." <laughs> and you would think, you would think, they would go, "Hmm." Instead, they decided to follow, one after the other, after the next dozen. 450 sheep followed the one that walked over the edge, and it was just like, I thought those are just lemmings, like these are sheep. And after those 450 sheep, 1100 more sheep. True story. The shepherds are a ways away and they're looking, they're going, oh, no, 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 no. And they're just watching the whole herd just go walk over the edge. It is horrible. Only 400, only 450 sheep died. Why? Because the following 1100 had a soft cushion to land on and so they didn't die. Sheep are dumb. Dumb. Jesus said, he is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. Jesus is saying that we as people are not the sharpest cookies. We are directionless without a good shepherd and we are defenseless without a good shepherd. You know, a false shepherd, when he sees wolves coming, he'll run away. Wolves will just ravage sheep. The enemy has a field day with people that don't believe in the supernatural. The enemy has a field day when people are following some false shepherd that points them towards a cliff or that's taking a lunch break when they should be tending for the sheep. The sheep are their responsibilities. Again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus continues as he's talking about him being a good shepherd. He continues in John 10 verse 17. And Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me. Why does God the Father love Jesus? Because I lay my life, I lay down my life, and look at this, speaks of resurrection, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus says, I choose to die. I have authority to lay it down and then check this out, Resurrection Sunday, I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from the Father. (laughs) No one forced Jesus to the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. He was born in Bethlehem so that he might die on a cross. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, nobody stole his body. Nobody gave him CPR with paddles. Clear, you know, he's alive. Like, no, Jesus raised himself. Like, dude, what? A person that has that kind of power, what can stop him? If death can't stop him, nothing can stop him. And this is why you can entrust your whole life and your entire eternity to the hands of Jesus, who both knows what death is and also knows what life is, Zoe life. You know, this is the other thing about Jesus. I want you to know this. He didn't have life. Jesus is the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Zoe So Jesus is not just somebody that's like, hey, somebody gave me some Zoe and I'm going to give it to you. Jesus says, I am the source of it. So I'm going to give it to you right from the source, nobody in between you and me. And since I'm the source, I also have an unlimited supply of this life that can't be killed. How much life does Jesus have? Here's how much life, how much, how much is Jesus life? Not how much life does Jesus have? How much is he the source of life? So much so that Jesus created every single thing that is in existence. What? Yes. Colossians chapter one, verse 16 and 17. For by him, this is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, and here's the supernatural, invisible. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him because he is Zoe life. And for him, I was created, you were created for Jesus. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together or consist. Even today, scientists struggle to understand what they describe as this undiscovered force that's holding everything together. You know, there are terms that are used for this dark matter. Dark because it's evil? No, dark because they can't detect it. They don't understand it, but they look at the evidence of facts and there's something holding on a on a cosmic level, the universe together, but there's also something on a microscopic level holding our cells together are atoms together. Scientists don't know what that is, except Paul told the church in Colossae what that is. The thing that's holding everything together is not some force. He has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is literally holding everything together in existence, even on an atomic level. What is, wow, Zoe, he is the source of life. Now this is the thing. It doesn't mean you can't be a scientist and be a Christian. That's not what this means at all. It just means that we have to admit that science cannot answer every question we have. Not every question we have can be answered by us observing something. There are some answers to questions that we have to go. I think this is beyond me. I think this is beyond the gray matter between my, my ears. I, this might be bigger than me. Here's some of the questions that science can't answer. Why do I exist? Not how do I exist, but why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? Science isn't going to answer that question. What will happen when I die? It takes somebody who has crossed that threshold from life to death and then comes back again to tell us. There is no tomb that can contain the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, there are those that will also say, well, Jesus, his body was stolen. So you're saying then that people rolled this extremely heavy stone uphill out of the trench, which had also been sealed, so broke the seals, rolled the stone away, and also happened to get past a couple Roman guards that were on watches. And Roman guards, the thing with them is if they allowed their, the ones that were under their watch to be taken or to escape, their life was then at risk. Their life would be taken. And so why in the world would these Roman soldiers just allow the body to be taken? And here's the thing. Why hasn't the body of Jesus been displayed by the Romans? You know, to quiet down this crazy idea that a man resurrected from the dead. Don't you think the Romans would have just been like, listen, okay, all right, all you guys really getting super excited about Jesus rising from the dead. Well, look, here he is. Does he look dead to you? Yeah, he's dead. That's all they would have had to have done. It wouldn't have been difficult for them to do that. Oh, well, the disciples came and they stole the body. Forgetting all the other things we just talked about, they would then have made themselves unclean over the Passover to go touch a dead body to get him out. And these are just three things I'm mentioning off the top of my head. Like there's a whole bunch of other points that could be mentioned as well. And the thing is the Roman empire lasted for another four, over 400 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Why in the 400 years of the Roman empire, did they not finally just quiet down this crazy Christianity? Here's why, because they couldn't get the body. Because there was no body, because the body was walking around. You realize this, Jesus, when he rose again, it wasn't like, hey, I've risen again, but don't tell anybody, and then he disappears to heaven. Jesus rose again, and then walked around for 40 days. (laughs) You know, it's, it's really hard to convince people that Jesus is still dead, when they're just like, yeah, that Jesus, oh yeah, he rose from the dead. Yeah, actually, there he is, right there, oh. It even says in the Bible that in one event, there was over 500 people that saw him at one time. And 20 years later, as Paul's writing, he's going, most of those people who saw him 20 years ago when he resurrected, they're still alive with us today. See, this is why Christianity hasn't died, because the Savior is risen. If Jesus really did die, and some people go, this is just an elaborate hoax. Hoaxes get revealed. The truth comes out. And the Roman government would have been in their best interest to just produce the body and just go enough of this craziness. But they couldn't because he is risen. You know, for the skeptic, for the one who wants to just go, I'm tired of Christianity, like it's a bunch of fairy tale stuff. For the skeptic, this is what I have to tell you. Please listen and consider the words that I've been saying. But if a skeptic really wants to disprove Christianity, they just need to do one thing. They just need to do this. And if they do this, it absolutely will shatter the foundations of Christianity. In fact, the Bible tells us how a skeptic could destroy Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. Says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Okay, that's all we need to do. We just got to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That's what a skeptic would need to do. If they can prove that, even Paul admits then all the preaching is useless and the faith of Christians is useless. But because Jesus resurrected, Christianity will not die. It doesn't matter if a government or a regime or a dictator says that it's illegal, you can't kill Zoe. You will die. Your government will die. Your ideology will die. You will pass away. But Zoe will never pass away. Jesus is alive. It's, you know what the empty tomb does? The cross of Jesus Christ, we were here on Good Friday, two days ago. The cross of Jesus shows us the love of God. It shows us how much God loves us because he sent his son to die in our place. So if the cross shows us the love of God, you know what the empty tomb shows us? The power of God. As a Christian, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Why? Because you believe in someone who overcame death. You believe in a God who killed death and is now offering it to you and I. Here's a short list of things that the empty tomb does for the believer. It turns our shame into joy. It turns our sorrow into singing. It turns our fear into faith. It turns our skepticism into believing. It turns our bondage, we remember the bondage that we were in, turns bondage into freedom. It turns our mourning into dancing. It turns our resentment into forgiveness. It turns darkness to light. It turns destruction into restoration. It turns defeat into victory. The empty tomb turns death into life. And the resurrected Jesus reminds us that we couldn't reach God. God had to come here. God had to die for us to show his love. And God rose again to display his power. Jesus said these words, these last three words from the cross, it is finished, tetelestai. On Good Friday, I said this, the name of our church, which people are like, Telios Christian fellowship, what does it mean? It means completed. It's a form of the word tetelestai, the last three words Jesus said from the cross. It's a reminder to us and it's a question mark to people that come and go, what's the name of your church? Telios. It means that we're complete. The Christian is complete in Jesus Christ. The name of our church reminds us that on the cross, Jesus completed the work and showed his love, the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus displayed the power of God. What is it that you're going through that you're just like, it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. This person, is they just caused me. I'm just so resentful towards them. I, I don't know that I can forgive them. Because the grave is empty, you can forgive them if you have Zoe life. If you have the power, the overflowing power from God, you can overcome those things that cause you to stumble and struggle. Maybe you're paralyzed by fear or anxiety. I wrote some statements down. Maybe you can, you can uh, um, relate to these. Maybe you think or say these things you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. Here's what I know. I know somebody who's greater than your badness. Okay. I know somebody whose goodness and love and power is greater than anything you have ever done. Maybe you've thought or said this, my life is not worth it. Remember I told you that there's somebody, the Bible was really clear. There's somebody to steal, kill and destroy. You know how he does it? He lies to you. He whispers in your ear and he tells you, you're not, you're not worth it. Your life's not worth it. You're trouble to everybody. Why don't you just quit while you're ahead? Does that sound like the good shepherd or does that sound like the enemy? That's the enemy. Maybe you've thought this, I'm too far gone. Like I've messed up too many times. And so internally, you've passed your own threshold. You're like, I can forgive people who have gone this bad, but I've gone even further than even my standards. Aren't you glad that salvation's not based on your standards or my standards? It's not based on how much we love people. It's based on how much God loves us. And he loved us so much to send his son. You haven't messed up so much that you can't be forgiven by God. And if you can hear the sound of my voice right now, You need to know this. There is always a chance for you to walk in the right path. You just have to turn and walk towards Jesus. You have to receive the truth that he died for you and that he rose again in power. You can't be like Thomas Jefferson. Oh, he's a good moral guy. Then you don't have Zoe life. If you die in that state without receiving the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing that he did it for you, then when your bios ends and when your psyche, your suchi ends, you won't have Zoe. Does that mean I end? I'm annihilated? I don't exist? No. This is the hard truth. And Jesus says it. You will exist forever in a state of death. Wait, wait. When you die, you die and it's over. Everyone is created as an eternal being, all of us. Every human being is created eternally. And those that receive the Zoe life that only comes from Jesus live eternally. And those that reject the Zoe life of Jesus die eternally. If I say or claim that I love people, then I have to say the truth on both sides. It's disrespectful to you if I just tell you about how amazing eternal life is but then I whisper or I just go and then oh, there's eternal death. I don't want don't to talk about that. don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Well, that means that I'm going to act as if you can't handle the truth and I think you can handle the truth. You may not agree with the truth and that's up to you but it's my responsibility to tell you what Jesus has said. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. You know why? Because he doesn't want anybody to go there because he's the good shepherd. Easter is not about getting stuff from Jesus. You know what Easter is about, this Resurrection Sunday? It's about getting Jesus. It's about getting the life that only is from him. And if death could not stop Jesus, then nothing can stop Jesus. And that resurrection power is available for everyone who believes in Jesus today. So if you're a Christian and you've been trying to do life under your own power, Hey, as a brother that just loves you, if you're a Christian, just know this. You know better. I say that to myself so many times in the mirror when I start getting into my thinking where it's just like, oh, I got to work harder at this and I got to try harder. And I just, not, I just have to look myself in the mirror and there's times I look at myself and go, Jim, you just know better. Stop it. Stop trying to do this by yourself. You have Jesus. Why would you not ask him for his power? But if you're not a believer, in other words, if you are like Thomas Jefferson, You don't believe in things that are supernatural. I understand that's a challenging thing for us to believe in, but we don't believe in a fairy tale. We believe in fact that has not been disproved. We're 2,000 years away from the resurrection of Jesus and it hasn't been disproved. The Roman Empire couldn't find a body. There is no body. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people saw the risen Jesus. How do you disprove that? So if you're a non-believer, a non-Christian here, I want to tell you this. Jesus has an invitation for you. And I'm not making this up. I wouldn't do that to you. I would just rather show you the words that Jesus says to anyone that would read his words. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and these words will pop up on the screen. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically by us, yet he shall live Zoe. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, never die. And look at this question. Jesus is asking it across 2000 years to this morning in 2019. Jesus' words, do you believe this? Jesus said who he is. He said why he came and he's offering you this life that can't be killed. Now he asks you a personal question. Do you believe it? There is life after death. Do you believe Jesus? Let's bow our heads. If you're here this morning and as you hear this message, you realize that you don't have Life, Zoe, what Jesus was talking about. You realize that in your life you have been physically alive, mentally alive, but after seeing Jesus' words, you realize that you've been spiritually dead. And you realize that Jesus is calling out to you He's your good shepherd. If you're here this morning or listening on the radio or the internet, and you realize that Jesus the Good Shepherd is calling you to be a part of His flock, and you want to be a part of His flock, then all you need to do is ask Him to be your shepherd. That's it. All you need to do is ask Him to be your Savior, to save you, and He will. If you're here this morning, And that's the desire of your heart. Please pray a prayer, something like this, to God, who loves you so much that he would send his son to die and then show you he's real by rising again from the dead. Pray something like this. Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you came to die for me in my place on the cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead on Easter Sunday. And I ask to be a part of your flock. Jesus, receive me as your child. Jesus, I am a sinner. I have failed God. I have failed people over and again. Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. Make me right before God. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for telling me the truth, for dying for me and for rising again. Help me be an example of this Zoe life to the people that I run into day by day in Jesus name. And for the rest of us here, for the believers, we pray that on this resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that we would not hide the truth that you share, Jesus. We pray that we would remember this resurrection power on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, that we would remember that we have the power that comes from Jesus every day of our lives. I pray that we would live victorious, death-defeating lives and that we would be bold for the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the single largest decision that you will make in your entire life. Bigger than who you'll marry, bigger than where you will live, is who your Savior is. If you prayed that prayer, there's going to be a few people standing over here. They'd love to pray with you. If you have any other things you'd like prayer for, you can go and chat with them and pray with them. But we're going to say God bless you. Don't let coming to church be an Easter or Christmas only thing. Come and grow in who Jesus is Sunday by Sunday. And if you have no place else to go, you're invited to come here. We'd love to have you. Shall we stand and sing a closing song to our Lord? God bless you. And he is risen. Amen.